Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank. This is Tom Healy. I'm with Joe Bazzello. We are the co-hosts of Outside the Tank, and we are the co-founders of Growth 10, which is a community of entrepreneurs all over the country. Uh, they meet in small tribes once a month. They educate themselves. They help each other grow faster. Joe and I love entrepreneurs. We love working with entrepreneurs. We love helping entrepreneurs scale their business. Uh, and this is why we started this podcast, because the entrepreneurs that have been on Shark Tank have incredible stories. Some of them stories of success, some of them stories of getting their teeth kicked in. There's a little bit of everything, but we wanted to hear what happened before they got on the show. What happened during that didn't air? What happened afterwards? Uh, where's their business now? What did they learn? What lessons can they share with, with entrepreneurs? So uh, we are so excited about this podcast. We are so excited about all of the great entrepreneurs that we've been interviewing. We can't wait to bring you these shows. And today we have a great one. We have Kent from Neuro Energy Gum. Joe, what happened on this pitch? Yeah, let me uh, give you a sense of this. Um, Kent and his partner Ryan came on and Ryan actually suffered a snowboard accident um, and is uh, partially paralyzed. Uh, very, very touching story, interesting story. They created this product that gives you a lift and you could grab this lift on the go uh, through gum and mints. They were asking for 750,000 for 5% of their company. At time of taping, they'd been at this for about four years and they had done three and a half million in sales and that was up from 1.5 million the previous year. So they're on a great trajectory. And it surprised me, Tom, that, that some of the sharks either didn't catch that or weren't impressed with that. But uh, Daniel Lebetsky was cautioning them to be very careful about um, their growth. He went out early because it wasn't his category. Mr. W hated the valuation. Uh, Cuban was uh, somewhat concerned about the product claims. Lori was wishy-washy. Uh, Robert saw a gaping hole in, in how to scale the business. He wound up making an offer, $1 million for 20%, way below their asked for valuation. So they couldn't meet on valuation. But there's much more to the story, obviously. I think that Ryan and Kent uh, did an honorable job in explaining what their product was. I, I, say, I think an opportunity might have been missed by the Sharks, but we'll find out. Yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a really well done pitch. Uh, clearly, the, the trajectory of the company was was going up. Uh, and this was one of those where I actually was happy for him. He didn't do a deal because I don't think there was a great deal out there. And I think that, uh, you know, they're going to be just fine by themselves. So uh, let's now go to our interview with Kent. Uh, awesome guest. And on the back end of the interview, we'll break down all the great stuff we learned from him. So we now take you to our great interview with the man of Neuroenergy Gum, Kent. 
All right, Kent, welcome to Outside the Tank. All right. Well, we are, <laughs> we, are, we, are pumped, we are pumped to have you. I um, Right before we started recording this, I had about 14 of your mints, so I'm feeling... Oh, so you're jacked. <laughs> you're ready. You know, you were, you were one, of the, uh, one of the ones where I immediately bought it like halfway through your pitch. I bought the, the mints. They're, they're fantastic. It's a, it's a great product. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, we've been putting a, a lot of work into those and we have our calm and clarity out now. So uh, if you get a little too focused and energized, you could counterbalance with those. So walk us through how you came up with the idea for the business and how you created the product. Yeah. You know, Ryan and I, uh, for all those who didn't watch our episode, um, Ryan and I met in college. We were both athletes. Um, I was training extremely seriously in martial arts training with the Japanese Olympic judo team out in Japan at the Kodokan, uh, training with Imperial guards out there, going to Thailand and fighting in Muay Thai during the summers um, and training probably like four to six hours a day in the United States. And I needed something that would help me balance my lifestyle inside and, and outside of school. And so I started mixing supplements in my room, doing my own research, using my uh, degree in neuroscience and what I learned in the chemistry labs to be able to go through the, the diligence process of creating something that would work for me. And, um, you know, when, when Ryan got injured and, uh, you know, his, his sophomore year of college, he broke his spine in a snowboarding accident. So he became paraplegic from uh, basically the lowest ab down. And I was getting these supplements I was mixing in my room. And both of us during a scuba diving trip realized that the stigma of taking pills and supplements and having uh, mixing powders, you know, especially by yourself, is not a good look. So we wanted to create a more approachable product, which is where we came up with the idea of putting these things that are healthy for you into gum and mints. And so then give us the timeline. Um, you know, your episode aired April 10th of 2020, but working backwards when did you officially start the company yeah so it's it's crazy because we filmed like seven months or so before that airing also so um a lot happened obviously since then and we started in 2015 so we're in our uh fifth year of business now october 2015 is our is when we were officially launched and initially, did you um, raise money at the very beginning? The only money we raised was what was in our savings accounts and what uh, our early supporters gave us on Indiegogo. And, and tell us about Indiegogo. Um, for those that aren't familiar with it, how did that work? How were you able to get money from that? Yeah, so Indiegogo is similar to Kickstarter, which is the more popular of the two platforms. And there's a few others as well. But primarily... The initial group of people that I was consulting with, which was a lot of Redditors, uh, people in the Nootropics forums, um, they came and helped us on this crowdfunding program when I announced in these forums that I, I was deeply involved in that we were launching a more approachable way of uh, consuming Nootropics. And so the initial boost got us to our complete goal that we set in three days uh our ten thousand dollar goal and from there time magazine 
the New Yorker, um, CNN, Dr. Oz, all these people began picking us up and it allowed us to really bootstrap the business for the first two years. How'd you settle on gum and mints? I mean, did you think about like drinks or anything else or were you always uh, focused on gum and, and mints? We were always focused on something that people could carry in their pockets and have available with them, whatever the situation may be. And while drinks are great, there is the limitation of, you know, an energy drink doesn't taste good when it's warm. Uh, a coffee uh, is hard to carry around and stains your teeth or it gives you acid reflux. And with a lot of these other supplements, when you put into a gum and mint form, similar to what we do when it's a, a cold, a padded cold compression format, you don't lose out on any of the variables that you place into it. So you know exactly the amount that you're taking with every single mint or gum. Unlike say coffee or most energy drinks with their, when they're heat filled, a lot of the chemical compositions of what's being placed into them break down or with coffee, you have no idea how much caffeine you're consuming. And uh, we felt that a more scientific way of approaching it was possible with gum and mints. Did you apply to be on the show or uh, were you recruited? Uh, so what's funny is we initially got recruited our first year into the business because of the initial hype we got. But going from there, uh, we didn't get chosen that first time around, but they kept contacting us. And the year or so, maybe like six months or so before our shoot date, they contacted us about a diversity uh, casting that was happening in Arizona. So Ryan and I packed our bags, immediately went there, did the casting, and then we, we got an email maybe like two months after that to be on the show and to prepare. Wow. So all this PR, this hype you're talking about, did that all happen by accident or were you doing something to solicit that? You know, it's a combination of both. Uh, I think there's active tried and true methods where you could get PR and um, we were able to scale that to a certain point, but now we have an amazing PR firm we work with that's able to tap into even deeper connections and what's pr what we realized isn't just about media or just about connections and what gets put out onto the air there's so much more that gets involved with partnerships who's talking about you what products are being seeded to who how do you refine it so um maybe a specific demographic of people are hearing about your product and uh that's the value we see in our current pr firm and they've been they've been fantastic so can, can you can you tell us a little bit about the objectives um, in you and Ryan going on, uh, the priority objectives, whether it was for um, certainly the uh, great exposure it would create or whether it was more primarily about the raise? Yeah, you know, so, I mean, we went in wanting to get a deal with the Sharks, you know, because that's, I mean, you could go onto the show for PR, but that's a more or less a one and done opportunity versus if you get a shark on your team, there's so many more going back to what I was saying about uh, PR being much deeper than a media mention. You get someone like a Mark Cuban, let's say on your team and Mark Cuban will allow you to tap into all of his contacts and then the fire spreads from there. Um, unfortunately, the valuations they gave us, we couldn't really justify and you know, also the, the amount of capital they were going to give us. Um, while a lot, I think it was the, the largest, uh, offer that Robert gave on the show at a million dollars, but
but it just didn't make sense to give away that much of the company when we were already on this, this revenue track. So, you know, the PR that came from it was great, but uh, ideally we would have wanted a, a new team member to join in. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Wonderful really pushed back on your valuation. In fact, he said oh, yeah. he, he thought it was poo-poo and he hated it. <laughs> And that's speaking of people, he also gave the crappiest deal that you possibly could give. And like his deal was a, a, like a non-starter, you know, it, it like he, I don't think he did the unit economics and the math in his head when he presented it. So typically when a company is on there and they've gone from 1.5 to 3.5 million in sales, they get some attention in the valuation, your valuation would have made more sense if they were listening. It's almost like they didn't hear that. Yeah, you know, it's usually a, a three to five X EBITDA uh, or multiple on, on revenue, top line revenue rather. And um, we, you know, we were right in the middle of that, that multiple. Like it was a pretty fair raise based on our, at least our revenue then. So you guys air, what happens immediately following it? in terms of orders, publicity, what, what does that look like for you? Those, those first couple of days after airing? Yeah, it's pretty funny because you could see the tidal wave of people coming onto our website because we were doing the live view on Shopify and it's like, okay, this is the East coast airing. This is the, the central time area and this is the, the Pacific time area. And the influx of order was amazing. What's funny is uh, like, so Joe Rogan is a huge pro- fan of our product. And every time Joe Rogan mentions us, the orders are much larger than our Shark Tank, Shark Tank appearances, which is crazy to think about. But um, yeah, like it's to be able to speak to all of America about your product is one, nerve wracking, but two, based on, you know, I, I, would, I would grade us like maybe a B plus or an A minus on, on the way we presented ourselves. I'd say, uh, given the way we presented ourselves on the show, it, the, the publicity, the, the, the amount of orders, the amount of uh, new fans we got was amazing. Well, you, you know, at first when you said that about Joe Rogan, I thought it was crazy, but then I'm thinking his audience is bigger. It's, I, I wouldn't doubt that his audience is actually bigger, but, it, it's, but it, what's crazy is it's not nationally televised uh, it's not nationally televised, you know, like people have to go out and search for Joe Rogan. People have to subscribe to him and he's still able to pull in um, all these people to support him. Cool. I think because, because someone has to find him and continue to listen to him, there are more rabid or loyal fans. So they're going totally. to respond to whatever he is hyping and, and talking about. But yeah, that was, that was incredible. I caught that and I went, wow, that is, that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Was there any thought of taking that deal Robert threw at you for a million bucks and 20%? Um, yes. I mean, a million for 20% values us at basically like the revenue we were going to hit, <laughs> you know, like that, that's a one X multiple on the revenue we're making. That's pretty outrageous in my opinion. So I don't know. That's, it's, it's funny because we read the comments and people being like, that's so dumb that you didn't take that deal. But 
I think there's a lot of other factors that get involved when you talk about financial raises and, um, you know, future raises as well. When someone comes in at 20% right off the bat as one person, and then you're trying to raise in the future, but you value yourself at $5 million on that raise, then you're in trouble for the next round. I wanted to ask you about this. You probably, um, you probably got some flag for not taking that deal. I, I wonder how much uh, negative trolling did you get on social media? And did you guys have to kind of turn that off and not pay attention to it? Um, what? Maybe we automatically turn it off because I can't recall a single moment of uh, negative trolling. Um, yeah, I, I would say people were pretty, uh, pretty supportive for the most part, which is sad to say, but surprising. You know, it's, it's, it's good that it's surprising. Like people, people were uh, very supportive of us. Well, my reaction, my reaction to, to your uh, presentation, the way you and Brian present yourselves uh, was that, I think they missed an opportunity. So I saw it, I'm looking at it through my lens and I, I just thought, well, they blew it there. That's a great product and their sales are uh, certainly on the right uh, trajectory. So thank when you. When you go back and watch the pitch or, or play it through in your mind, is there anything that you regret? Would you have done anything differently, said anything differently? Um, what's crazy. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we were in there for an hour and 45 minutes. And the editors cut it down to seven minutes. So I feel like there's everything that I could have said that I that ultimately did come out of my mouth. And even like Apollo Ono, who's our biggest investor, and he's a uh, the most decorated Winter Olympian, he did a whole shout out for us. Like it it basically got you know like the producers set it up so Apollo could come live on television and talk to the judges. And for some reason, the editors just cut that part out. So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting what they decide to choose and uh, decide to take away. So at the time of airing, you had, or the recording, you said you were in about 5,500 stores and that was a priority to continue to scale that up. How, how are you looking now? So we are close to double that. Um, we just hit nationwide Whole Foods. So you can find us at the cash register at some of your Whole Foods uh, nearby. And um, we're in talks with a few other large retailers that we're hoping to close by the end of the year. How did 2020 work out for you? I mean, despite everything, 2020 was our best year yet. You know, I, I think our e-commerce business um, scaled tremendously. We were able to figure that out and uh, continue to grow it. Unfortunately, we were finding traction in college campuses, but those all shut down. So there's a missed opportunity there, but you know, outside of some of the missed retail opportunities at smaller locations, consumers were still going out and buying product. And it's pretty surprising to see how the economy was able to more or less sustain itself. Uh, you know, like there's so many bad things that did happen and it's unfortunate for the people who did um, get impacted by it. But uh, speaking with other e-commerce business founders, similar to us, um, we all had great 2020s. So on college campuses, were you uh, hiring interns or ambassadors? How were you spreading the word there? Um, so Barnes and Noble colleges, is, so Barnes and Nobles, the, the bookstore, despite the fact that they've shut down, <laughs> are one of the biggest distributors for college campuses nationwide. And we tapped into their system and we're becoming like one of the top three products being sold on college campuses through their bookstores. But and, and their college stores in general. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we had we did have an ambassador program set up. We did have all these uh, like interns coming in, like from we had an intern from Cornell, UPenn, USC, like these great, great schools, um, and they continued to work with us. But a lot of the objectives that they had had to shift into being like, okay, how do we look at partnership models in a different way through the lens of an e-commerce company rather than an on-site uh, college ambassador or whatever it happens to be. How do people find out about you in terms of marketing? I mean, are you uh, paid social? What are you doing to get the word out for, for new customer acquisition? I mean, it's an omni-channel approach, which I think everyone has to do at this point. Paid social is one of them, but you know, the increasing CPA costs make it difficult to maintain high spend without being a company that burns a tremendous amount of capital. Um, for us, we have an allocated marketing budget on a quarterly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis that we revise all the time. Look at that and try to pump it into avenues that would work for us. So podcasting is great. And we're tapped into like 15 different podcasts, I want to say now, including, you know, Joe Rogan podcast, uh, Ryan Holiday, who's similar on the, the range of stoicism. Um, who else? Uh, you know, a, a lot of these CrossFit um, podcasts. And then when we were out and about, sampling was a major part of our sell-through rates at retail stores. So once things open back up, that's an opportunity that we're going to take full advantage of. So tell us a little more about podcast advertising, because you know, it seems like you hear all kinds of different things. Some love it, some hate it, some don't know if they can really measure the return. So how, how do you know that it's been effective for you? And is it something that you'd recommend for some of the entrepreneurs listening if they've got the right product? If they have the right product and they tap into the right demographics. So for us, we focus on fitness influencers, you know, and we don't try to, you don't want to diversify too quickly and you don't want to spread yourself out too, too thin too quickly. And for podcasts, our data analysis is unbelievable, but we do um, attribution based on one, the very obvious, which is UTM parameters or coupon codes or direct links to our website. Um, but we also do airing dates and then doing time tracking and then attribution across Amazon, uh, where the highest demographical listeners is on that podcast and our website. So we get kind of this, you know, there's a lot of pieces definitely missing, but we do get a pretty comprehensive view of how each of these, um, each of these podcasts perform. So what's the, what's the future of the business look like over the next 12 to 18 months? What are, what are some things you're focused on as an entrepreneur? So, you know, one of the big things as a, a company like ours to focus on, and I'm, I'm sure it's a company like, a company like Red Bull probably went through something similar, but do you create more products and expand out horizontally or do you strengthen your core offerings and expand out vertically? And we're coming out with a new product in April, a multivitamin, so that we could really be a company that puts really health in your pocket and builds consistent good habits in an easier way. But from there, the decision is, okay, we have these three amazing products, energy and focus, calm and clarity, and a daily multivitamin, all of which encompass every aspect of your needs throughout the day. And, you know, we have R&D samples of like immunity products, like skincare products and things like that. But we're at this turning point, especially as we enter into retail, where we're wondering if we should just be a comprehensive suite 
of supplements in general. So we expand out across the entire shelf like Ollie does, or do we just have so many flavor offerings of each of these three pillars that are, we're really, really passionate about that um, we capture a larger demographic who wants those functions, but in different flavors that they're wherever their preference lies. What does your gut tell you you should be? Uh, we're going to the realm of vertically in, vertical integration at the moment, especially because gum and mints intrinsically had, it's something that requires flavor. You know, it's something that people go after for flavor. And traditionally these companies like Mars Wrigley um, have depended on that for their sales. So as a person that's on the junction of old and new of supplements and traditional gum, um, we feel like that that would be the nice merging of the two worlds. What's been the hardest part, uh, for you as an entrepreneur? Um, I mean, the early stages were extremely tough, you know, not having money, depending on people to let me stay at their place or, you know, like not eating, like going hungry for a few days, you know, trying to make things work, packaging stuff out of my house. But I look at all those moments and I'm like glad I went through them. You know, none of these, nothing feels hard at the moment. Like think, there's hard moments, but being an entrepreneur itself is not hard, if that makes sense. We and, tend to, uh, as soon as we have a little bit of success or a victory, we tend to forget some of the pain pretty quickly. Oh, absolutely. And you, like the pain and the scars are there, but it's calloused over. And, you know, you know how to deal with that pain the next time around. So it's like be, starting up as an entrepreneur is one of the most painful and difficult things in the world. But once you get to a point where you figure out the cadence and you're constantly learning, you, I think it's almost habitual. Like it's like building any habit. Like when you start working out, it's always hard. But when you build the rhythm of working out every day, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And as long as you're moving forward and staying positive and, and keeping those that support you close by your side, um, I would say that that pain always, that pain and difficulty always gets reallocated into harsh learning through hardship. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you learned in putting your team together, both um, internal employees, external partners. What were some of the lessons learned there as you built your team? It's always interesting because, I mean, I respect the hustle, but you start getting a sense, at least, I hope I'm not wrong, but you, start, you do start getting a sense of certain people that do want to get more and more involved with your company. Um, and they're in it for the money more so than the vision of the brand, which is not a bad thing, but it's um, when those people come in, you have to make sure that they're in their lane, I guess. Um, and it's, and it's a thing a lot of my entrepreneur friends say, because uh, they raise money from institutions, uh, from VCs, and the VCs don't know anything about the brand. They don't come from a health background, or they don't come from a background that has anything to do with the product they're building. And like literal blood, sweat, and tears went into from the entrepreneur side. They don't understand that, um, going back to the previous question. Um, but they still 
try to control the direction of the company. And to me, that's being able to navigate that is definitely a big learning lesson uh, that I've, and a, a trait that I had to develop over the years to get around. But, um, you know, outside that, I would say like in building the team itself, it's, we, uh, at least in our company, we value culture more than anything else, because if everyone's happy, then they're going to work extremely hard. And if everyone has balance in their life, they're going to work hard when it's time to work. Um, and as I get older and I'm not pulling all nighters all the time, or I'm not working, you know, like 15, 16 hour days and abandoning my friends or my family to build this business, I'm realizing that that's the most, finding that balance is more important than anything else. And so that's something we look for in anyone that, that joins us. So you're looking for a real alignment with the values and the culture that you guys cherish. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, and obviously they have to have, you know, the, they, they have to have the, the credentials at the foundational degree, but we'll always choose something. Uh, sorry. We'll always choose someone who may be like a, a B or a B plus employee, but works really hard and is passionate about the culture of the company and has balance in their life versus an A plus employee who is, isolating themselves from everyone else because that a plus employee is not a plus at that point yeah they're working they're working in, in existing in a bubble and that doesn't help anyone exactly how do you how do you measure some of that stuff i mean what do you what are you doing during interviews that is identifying if someone aligns with your culture um, so a lot of our interview questions i mean we always have like the standard interview questions to make sure that they have the knowledge base um, and the experience to fit into any role that we put in, uh, put them in into the company. But the majority of our questions is around what they do outside of work. And when the conversation begins to open up like that, and you get a, a less superficial version of them, um, you'll see how they would ideally operate in the company. Yeah, it, it is a balancing act, though, because sometimes you get if it gets too whimsical, then you get an employee that doesn't work at all. <laughs> but it sounds like you're asking uh, questions, Kent, that really help you determine who someone really is at their core. Ideally, yeah. So as we wrap up, I, you know, you obviously no different than most entrepreneurs had some challenges as you got started and, you know, running out of money and scaling the business. And is this going to work? What got you through those tough times? You know, having a co-founder as supportive as Ryan is amazing. Um, having employees that are amazing as they are. Uh, I don't even like calling them employees. They're really teammates. You know, like having teammates as amazing as our team is, um, you never want to let them down, uh, you know, as like a leader. <laughs> um, and as a person being led by many of them, it feels on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I would say those are like key factors more so than like outward perception in a weird way. You know, obviously like we, I mean, we listen and pay attention to every single customer review um, because our company like depends on that. Um, and we put a lot of emphasis on customer like satisfaction scores within the company, but 
all in all, the people around you that are always there supporting you, um, like you just, at a certain point, you just like can't see yourself letting them down and you will do whatever it takes to make sure that everyone comes up with you. And it sounds like in a way, I mean, your, your people almost hold you accountable. Like you, you're, you're more concerned with letting them down than you are yourself. Oh yeah. (laughs) I I think everyone in the company has that kind of mentality, which is great. Like we all, we never want to like submit anything late. You know, we always want to make sure that everyone's looked out for and um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's important. Where, um, where do you prefer or where can people buy the product and then where can they find you on social media? So they can find Neurogum at Neurogum, N-E-U-R-O-G-U-M on Instagram, as well as Twitter and Facebook is Get Neuro, G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O, which is our website. So getneuro.com is our website, G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com. And you can find all of our offerings there. But if you ever find yourself in a Whole Foods or a CVS or the likes, uh, you can get us there too. Awesome. Well, we, we so appreciate you joining the show. What a, what a great story. Your pitch was awesome. Uh, I think you did the right thing by not taking the deal. But we're, uh, we're, we're pumped to follow the journey and uh, wish you nothing but continued success. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. What an awesome interview with Kent. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Great information, great insight. And this is the part of the show where Joe and I like to break down what we learned from the entrepreneur. What great information did they share that is applicable to some or even all of our businesses? Because there are so many great lessons that we take from these interviews with the entrepreneurs and we want to share them and we want to highlight them so that each show you're getting a little bit of information that's applicable to your business that's growing right now or your business that you want to start someday. Joe, why don't you start us off? What did you take from Kent? You know, one of the things he said had to do with pain and the pain and the scars that you bear as an entrepreneur. He likened it to working out. Every time you, first time you work out, if you haven't worked out in a while, it's going to hurt. And then you go back and you um, repeat the reps and the pain slowly uh, subsides. So I get the sense that there was a lot of pain in, in the early stages of the business and they kind of got used to it. They kind of developed those entrepreneurial muscles and they were very aware of uh, the fact that pain is temporary and the gain is permanent. So I love that. And there were a few points surrounding how important culture is, how critical culture is to uh, Kent and Ryan. And they like alignment. They like to uh, pull people onto their team that align with their culture. Uh, One of the things they do, Tom, is they ask people about what they do. And these are interviewees. These are potential hires. They ask them what they like to do outside of work, which isn't necessarily a question everyone would ask. And they're really trying to find out who a person is at their core so they can make a, a great hire, hopefully a perfect hire, if that's possible, for their culture. Um, and then the last thing I found was interesting is their partnership is probably similar to our partnership in that we work hard and we work smart and we challenge each other. And the reason we're so diligent at our roles inside of 
our business as co-founders and partners of Growth 10 is we don't want to let each other down. And I feel like that every day. How can I impress my partner? And I'm sure you feel the same way. So they have that thing going on. And when partners have that thing where they want to increase each other's game and up each other's game, that's a pretty synergistic uh, dynamic in a partnership. Yeah, it's no different than like a workout partner where, well, I got to show up to the gym because I know they're going to be there. And then I got to, you know, push hard because I know they're going to push hard. It's just basic accountability. And when you partner with somebody in a business that you care about, you don't want to let them down and they're going to bring out the best in you and you're going to bring out the best in them. Um, all great points. I just a couple other things. And, and this was, gosh, there was just so much in that interview. Um, you know, he mentioned using Indiegogo instead of Kickstarter. Um, so again, for those that are looking for funding that have a product, uh, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, these, so many of these entrepreneurs we're talking to, Joe, they've used one of these things. So, you know, don't sit there thinking that, uh, there are no sources of, of money, you know, cause there certainly are. Um, I loved, you know, I, I took away just creating your own PR hype. Again, so many of these entrepreneurs, Joe, they, they don't just sit there hoping someone's going to find their product. They don't just sit there, post something on Facebook going, I hope this goes viral. They create their own hype. They create their own, uh, uh, PR, right? I mean, they went after Joe Rogan and they got him to try the product and like the product. So find your Joe Rogan, find your influencers. You know, we've talked to other entrepreneurs that made a list of 150 influencers in their particular space and they sent care packages to all 150. Well, guess what? If 20 of them are like, hey, I got it, I love this, and I'm going to tweet about it or post about it on Instagram, that's incredible PR. And it didn't cost you anything other than some samples. Um, you know, he, he had a quote in there about uh, nothing feels hard after some of the tough times that, that both him and his partner had been through. You know, that's, that's why you want to be battle tested. You want to test yourself. You want to put yourself in tough situations because once you've accomplished difficult things, nothing feels hard. Business feels easy then. The people that shrivel up and die as entrepreneurs are the ones that never tested themselves and never really had to persevere or overcome difficult obstacles. And so they're the ones that just quit as opposed to constantly persevering and getting through the tough times so that they can enjoy all the successes that comes with creating a great product or service. Um, and, and the last thing, Joe, was just focusing on deeply on customer service reviews I'm sure it's uncomfortable to read people talk about you and your product, especially when they're negative, but you got to take these to heart. You have to obsess over them. You have to gather the data in terms of ways you can improve. You need to figure out why people love your product. So, you know, if you have a product that's on Amazon and has 500 reviews, it's easy to do. But if you have a business where, you know, you don't have a lot of reviews or people don't review you, figure out a way to gain customer feedback and then truly take it to heart because it's going to shape your marketing. It's going to give you ways to improve your product. It's going to tell you how you can, you know, sell your product in the marketplace. So customer service, customer reviews are so critical, but if you're not getting them or reading them, they're worthless. So this was a fun episode. I love these guys. I love the business. I bought them when they were initially on um, I just bought some more. I, the, the mints are fantastic. So uh, we so appreciate Kent joining us. 
Um, and we appreciate you listening. And if you like what you're hearing uh, on Outside the Tank, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on all the audio channels. We've got the video show up on YouTube. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star ranking on Apple if you, if you can and you, you're willing to do so. Uh, we so appreciate the support. We're at Outside Tank. That's Outside Tank on all social media platforms. And if you're an entrepreneur and you want to check out the book that we uh, are finishing up writing right now on called Entrepreneurial Landmines, um, if you want to set up a, a quick call with Joe and I, 20-minute uh, Zoom just to talk about your business and growth strategy and get our feedback, all of that is on OutsideTheTank.com. That's OutsideTheTank.com. Set up a time to talk with us, get a free copy of our new book. We are here to help all of the entrepreneurs listening. We love this stuff. It's what we do every single day, work with entrepreneurs to help them grow. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank coming soon. Take care, everyone.